You are listening to the IFH Podcast Network. For more amazing filmmaking and screenwriting podcasts, just go to ifhpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast, episode number 267. Treat energy the same way you treat money. It is a finite resource that needs to be wisely managed and invested. Dan Apani. Broadcasting from a dark, windowless room in Hollywood, when we really should be working on that next draft, it's the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast, showing you the craft and business of screenwriting while teaching you how to make your screenplay bulletproof. And here's your host, Alex Ferrari. Welcome, welcome to another episode of the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast. I am your humble host, Alex Ferrari. Now, today's show is sponsored by Bulletproof Script Coverage. Now, unlike other script coverage services, Bulletproof Script Coverage actually focuses on the kind of project you are and the goals of the project you are. So we actually break it down by three categories, micro-budget, indie film market, and studio film. There's no reason to get coverage from a reader that's used to reading tentpole movies when your movie's going to be done for $100,000. And we wanted to focus on that at Bulletproof Script Coverage. Our readers have worked with Marvel Studios, CAA, WME, NBC, HBO, Disney, Scott Free, Warner Brothers, The Blacklist, and many, many more. So if you need your screenplay or TV script covered by professional readers, head on over to CoverMyScreenplay.com. Now, how many filmmakers out there want to learn how to direct epic action on a budget? I teamed up with veteran film director and best-selling author Gil Beckman to teach a three-day directing video series on how to direct epic action on a budget. If you want access to this free masterclass, just head over to IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash free. So guys, today on the show, I have a huge treat. Today's guest is Darius Britt, or as anyone who's been on YouTube for the last five years would know him as D4 Darius. Now, Darius has been able to build up a hell of a following on YouTube. He's got over 340, I think now, or something like that, 350,000 followers. He's been doing this for about five years. He runs a business now all about helping filmmakers and showing them tips and taking taking them on his journey. And he's got a rabid fan base uh, around what he does. And I was a big fan of his uh, for a long time because he was spewing out some amazing content and great knowledge bombs on his YouTube channel. And the way he does it, it's extremely entertaining, really in your face. And I just generally love his style and presentation of his content. Now, Darius and I had the pleasure of meeting at the Mammoth Film Festival this year where we were snowed in and literally had nowhere to go. It was like The Shining where we were at, all the roads were locked off, all the no planes were leaving. We were basically stuck in a ski lodge, very similar to Jack Nicholson. So we had nothing but time to sit down and talk, and I, I'm not exaggerating. We probably sat down and talked for 10 or 15 hours over the course of the few days that we were there. We were hanging out all the time, talking, and, and we really just flowed really, really well when we were talking to each other. And as I was talking to him, I'm like, man, this would be a great episode for uh, for the podcast. He's like, well, we got to do it. So we did. And I blocked out a two-hour chunk because I knew this episode would go crazy, and it did. We literally, Darius and I could literally sit down and talk for four or five hours straight. But I felt that two hours was enough for this first session. But we really, really went deep, deep, deep into 
the psychology of filmmakers, of independent filmmakers, uh, philosophies, uh, the brutal, brutal truth uh, and raw truth of what it is to be an independent filmmaker in today's world and what you have to do differently now that they did not teach you in film school. So it was a really amazing, amazing episode. I cannot wait for you guys to hear it. So without any further ado, please enjoy my epic conversation with Darius Britt. I'd like to welcome to the show the legendary Darius Britt, man. How you doing, brother? I'm doing all right, man. Every day's a hustle. Every day. <laughs> Every day, every day we're hustling, baby. Every day we're hustling. So, man, we had the pleasure of finally meeting uh, at the Mammoth Film Festival this year, and uh, where we were snowed in like The Shining, yeah, and whiteouts. like a complete whiteout. We were locked in, like landlocked, in a way that we couldn't get to. We couldn't. Roads were like you hear about these things in the movies, like the roads were shut down and the airport is not nothing. Nothing's leaving or coming in. But I've never been in that situation. I don't think you have either. I haven't, man. I, I felt like a tourist in that. You know, like uh, it was nice to to visit and see that, but to live there, I couldn't do it. No, absolutely not. It. Absolutely not. That's, that's insane. Uh, God bless the people who live up there. It's it's just it's crazy. But uh, but we got a chance to meet, and all that snowed in time. Actually, just you and I sat by the roaring fire in our in our hotel, and we would just sit and pontificate. Yeah, it was like two uh, two days straight. Yeah, two days straight of us just sitting down, like doing like these deep sessions of discussing about the state of indie film and filmmakers and what we went through and all of this kind of craziness. And I was like, man, we should be recording this. Like, why isn't this being recorded? So this is what this pod, this is what this podcast and this interview is about. So kind of talk a little bit about what we talked about then and share it with our our both our tribes. In, in, in many ways. So for people uh, who don't know who you are, who are you? What do you do? And, and uh, you know, how, how can you yeah, just who are you? <laughs> yeah. So uh, my name is Darius Britt. I'm a filmmaker and a YouTuber, act, direct, produce, write, all that as well. And I run the D for Darius YouTube channel right now where I think last time I checked sitting at around 320,000 subscribers. Mm -hmm. And uh, what I do on the channel is I basically empower filmmakers. So I've released features, short films, behind the scenes videos, tips, tricks, uh, vlogs about filmmaking. Um, it's almost like a variety channel in the sorts geared towards um, addressing the problems and the concerns and things that filmmakers have in the journey. And also sharing my journey as a filmmaker because I'm still learning stuff, too. Yes. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, man, all of the above. Now, it's, it's funny, man, that because when I, I was doing interviews at Mammoth and and you were on the list. I'm like, oh, I got to talk to Darius because I've known about you and I've I followed your stuff for a long time. Uh, just because you know you 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 stand out. Your 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 technique and the way your flavor of how you give out the information definitely sticks out. And I've yeah. always been a fan of yours. I knew about you too because I was watching Indie Film Hustle. Um, uh, I was listening to Indie Film Hustle like way back when um, before you did This Is Meg. I was yeah, you were old school, man. Yeah, listening to your stuff, man. Um, so when I saw your name pop up, when I got an email saying, you know, uh, would you like to be or are you avails for an interview? And I was like, uh, interview is uh, indie film. I was like, oh, wait, my ears perked up. Like, what? <laughs> what? No, this like, really? Is he even out here? Like, what? Is, what? It was like, obviously, it wasn't even a question, man. I was like, right. hell yeah, man, let's get on this. Let's talk about this. And then it, and that one like 15 or 20 minute interview or whatever we did then. 
uh, ended up being literally, I'm not kidding, probably about 10 or 15 hours of talking. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the initial the initial interview we did, I think, was uh, like 47 minutes. Like, yeah, something, something like that. that. Yeah. yeah. Um, we're of the same kind of ilk in terms of our philosophies on how things should happen. And I think, you know, uh, as you can, I'm surely attest to this. Um, I feel like there's, there's two different types of people. There are people who they just kind of do and they figure it out as they go. And then there are the people who have to have all of the pieces before they start. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you can flip. Maybe you're the person who has to have all the pieces before you start. And then eventually later on in life, you flip and you're like, you know what? I just got to do this. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's the other way. But I think, um, you know, I, I've had journeys in my filmmaking experience or life where I just had to just do things and figure it out as I go. And, you know, I think I connected with you with your podcast because you kind of called yourself on that. And it's like, Hey, it took me 41 years to shoot my first feature. And a lot of it was fear. And, you know, and I just had to, at a certain point, it's like, I'm either going to do it or shut up. <laughs> right. Pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, man. That was, it was, it was always, it was, yeah, it was interesting when we saw each other. We're like, oh man, it's, it's kind of like we'd known each other for years. It was a real weird experience. It was well, working the same space too, because, yeah. um, you know, we both work in the online space and I think that automatically you inherit a sort of kinship with that because mm -hmm. it's a very different space than, you know, working in the classical Hollywood space or, even in some respects, like the indie film space, I think the online space, even though we have a lot to do with that, there are certain things that are different as mm -hmm. well. You know, like what? So what are a few of those things? You know, like uh, working with SEO, uh, understanding how to cultivate an audience and that mm -hmm. sometimes it's not about the project you're on, but it's about the micro content and the value that you're giving people in between projects or in between jobs, as they say. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Whereas the classical Hollywood or even the indie film, right, is all about the project. You know, I a one off a one years, off. Yeah, I spent two years making this thing, two, three years. And then when it's done, um, here I am. Here's my work. You know, you live and die by it. It takes off or it doesn't. But then you just disappear again. Mm -hmm. You know, there's not much of a footprint in terms of social media, in terms of micro content. Um, whereas when you're working on the online space, it's the opposite. Like your projects are important, but what's more important is your ability to brand and your ability to leverage micro content to build community around what you're doing. So that way um, it offers you more um relational value to your audience, but also in terms of the work that you're doing, it just offers you more opportunities. Mm -hmm. Now, so let's talk a little bit about your your rise and what you've done. You, you've been on YouTube now since what, 20... 2013? Yeah, 2013, right? So you've slow, you, you were there kind of before a lot of these guys were, you know, talking and doing their things. Uh, you know, like everybody now has a filmmaking channel, like everybody... I'm going to teach you how to, you know, work with a DSLR camera. Yeah. I'm going to here's yeah. some B-roll tips. How you to do B-roll tips and uh, the five, top five lenses, the best bang for your buck, and you know all that kind of stuff. And you know, you've been able to cultivate a, a fairly ravenous audience. Um, you know, it's you're not you don't got four or five million in, but the audience, which is still substantial, you still have a, you know over three hundred thousand. 
um, subscribers onto your YouTube channel, but they're pretty ravenous. I noticed that they're very engaged. Can you give some tips and, and kind of understanding to people listening how you build an audience and what it takes to maintain that? Because you've been doing it now, what, five years. So you've been doing it longer than I have. And and you've been able to cultivate that and maintain it and grow it while you've been doing it. So what, what do you have to say? It feels weird because it, it I've known you for a minute. So it, it when did you start? Like, 2015. What, 2015. Oh, man. So, wow. Okay. You were already two years started, in. started before I did. It no. felt that way anyway. No, I did in like life. But yeah. uh, <laughs> like I was shooting, I was, I was shooting, I, I was shooting while you were watching Saturday morning ca- uh, cartoons, sir. But yeah, no, I just meant indie film hustle. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, so, you know, man, that's a simple question, but it's a kind of a complicated answer, to be honest with you. Like, I'm still figuring out a lot of things and I'm still learning things about, you know, what I do even Now, um, I think my idea of what it took to grow an audience when I first started is very different than what I think is required to grow an audience now. And I think, um, you know, to boil it down to something stupid, simple, it's basically value. Um, The more value you offer, uh, the more potential you have to grow an audience. But there's different types of value. There is the educational value, right? And then there's the entertainment value. There's the relational value. There's the what you represent value. There's inspiration. And I think when you talk about creators online, whether it be podcasting or whether it be YouTube, um, there are certain thresholds of talent. And depending on where you are on that value scale will kind of ultimately dictate where you fall in those thresholds. And just for, you know, uh, all intents and purposes, we'll just say there are three thresholds right now, right? Mm -hmm. Threshold one, we'll take my niche, for example, or even yours to a certain extent. Um, Threshold one is information, Mm -hmm. right? If you've got the information, awesome. You pass the first threshold. Uh, you may, that may award you like, I don't know, 3000 subscribers on YouTube or Mm -hmm. three or four, uh, the podcasting world is a little different, but that's the first threshold. But in order to get to the next threshold, you got to have more than just information because people in this day and age can get that information anywhere. Really? So many people doing the same thing. So the next threshold becomes execution. Okay. You can give me information. But how are your videos edited? How are they lit? What do they look like? How do you sound? Is the sound sound horrible? Do you sound like, you know, you're in a, the bottom of a submarine? Did you shoot it on a potato? You know, like, so that's like another threshold of value, right? So now you're like, okay, I got the information, but I also got the execution. Mm-hmm. Like, things look right. They sound professional. Okay, boom, you cross another threshold of value. So maybe that gets you to the 10,000 mark or something. And then there's yet another threshold of personality and relatability, um, are you somebody that people could see themselves getting a beer with, or do you approach it with the classical hostmanship of, I'm going to keep my hands in this little box right here and I'm going to talk like this and I'm going to, and it feels mm-hmm. just like artificial and stale, you know, mm-hmm. like if you pierce that second threshold of value of being relatable and authentic as a person and not being afraid to be a person and, um, basically just have personality. That's like a third 
like threshold of value that you cross. So then that may award you like 20, you know, and it just keeps going up and up and up from there. You know, relational value, your ability to market yourself, your ability to think past your nose when making videos. Some people, they have a lot to offer, but they don't study YouTube, right? Mm -hmm. So how are you going to be good at YouTube if you don't study YouTube? And that's another threshold of value, though. So you can have a lot of other things going for you. But if you don't understand the platform, you don't understand the kind of tropes and things that the community indulges. That's one less thing that you have to arm yourself with. And I, and I find the people that are very successful on this platform, they just have lots of value to offer in different tiers. It's not just my information's the best. No, it's like the information, the personality. It's like the, the whole package is right. there. Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. I think information is just not enough anymore. No. I mean, when I showed up, I I had arguably some different kind of information because I was kind of talking at it from a very experiment, you know, very a lot of the experience I had dealt with, and you know, and and there is not a lot of that information out there of someone who's been doing it for twenty odd years and like real raw stuff. I'm assuming that's one of the reasons why you were, you know, drawn to my podcast. Or like, I was telling you how it is. I'm like, look, this is just the way it oh, is. Oh, yeah. And Within 20, 10, 20 <laughs> minutes, you know, it's like, oh, it's yeah. got the goods. <laughs> so it was, so I had, <laughs> I, I appreciate it, but I had that, but it was not just about information because at a certain point that information will change. It's like, it's just not enough. It's not enough. Anyway. And then even in the short time I've been doing Indie Film Muscle, that inform a lot of that information gets Put out in other places. I still believe I still have very unique perspectives and I have very unique information, but you I do combine it with presentation, how I put it out there, authenticity and character. And, character. And, and, and two, it's not only the fact that information is not enough, it's, it's worse than that. Mm -hmm. It's what good is the information if the people are gone before you get to the point? Right. Like I, 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 I'm a firm believer that as uh, brands or online personalities or whatever, our first responsibility is to entertain, period. Mm -hmm. Because if you can't keep their attention, they're not going to get to the value. Correct. You know, that's my my own opinion, though. I You ask 10 people, everybody's got their own. But I firmly believe your first priority is to entertain them first. Mm -hmm. there, there's no question. No question yeah. about it. I mean, and that's one of the reasons why I liked your channel uh, and what you do is because you are entertaining. There's no question about it. The way you presented the videos, the way you shot them, the editing style, there was an energy, a kinetic energy to them uh, that was uh, really nice and also very unique in the space. I had not seen that approach. A lot of the other kind of approaches are very, well, this is a DSLR camera and I, I have a DSLR camera now and you can put on a, a Sigma and the Sigma is for, it's the best bang for your buck. And you're like, and like, you know, and then you come out like, what up everybody? This is it. It's Darius. I'm Brit. And you just like, and you're cutting and it's like a fisheye lens and it was just all this kind of information. But it's a, it's a good lesson for people listening to understand that it is about presentation. It is about um, execution. execution. And I have to use that word execution, even I put it like a real big exclamation point on there because it's really always about execution in, in movies, in, in a script, like you can give a script to 15 directors. It's about execution. How are you going to pull ideas are Ideas dime. are a dime a dozen. Everything. Execution is everything. Now what, because, oh, what go ahead. no, no, no. So what advice do you have for people who are stuck in this uh, vicious circle or vicious uh, hamster wheel of 
ideas. Like I, I have all the ideas in the world, but I, I, I'm just a little too afraid to move forward on it. Or I'm going to make up excuses not to move forward with it. Like I need a red. I need a red 8K to shoot my dramedy that is shot basically in one room. And I need this and I need that. And I need this actor. I need that much money just for me to get up out of the bed in the morning. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Those are all excuses. I did those excuses. That's just absolutely pure fear and excuses. <laughs> pure, pure fear is what that is. <laughs> and I, you can call it whatever you want. Like that, um, I'll call. I'll call shenanigans. I'll call extract, BS. Fear extract. You know, it's, it's like <laughs> I got to default to something you said a number of times in your podcasts. Yeah. Uh, stop throwing obstacles in front of yourself. Correct. And that's exactly what it is. When you start to say, I can't make this idea unless X, that's an obstacle. Because at the end of the day, you either want to do something or you don't. And that can take different shapes, right? Like most of the time when we get into filmmaking, um, we want to make the films of our youth, right? Like yeah. Jurassic Park, Star Wars, whatever. Most of the time, because that's why we even that's thought- what, That inspired it. us, that inspired that, us. Yeah, that's the thing that gripped us, right? But the problem with that is, you know, there's a whole economics aspect of film that piggybacks on this. It's like, great. Do you have a two, three, four, five hundred million dollars? You know, it's like, obviously you don't. But it kind of goes back to the question of, you know, once you get past that, just making films of your youth and realize, wait, there's many different aspects to this. There's indie film, there's short films, there's online making films for the online space. There's, you know, once you realize there's a whole bunch of different flavors then you go back to that question of what is it you really want to do? If all you want to do is make your passion project, that script that you've had in your drawer that you've been working on for like five to seven years, right. and you're continuing to look for money from friends and family and everyone, if that's all that you want to do, then you're a fundraiser. Right. You're not a filmmaker, you know, like, because if you're a filmmaker, your urge to make films would override any one project, yes. any project. It's yes. like, okay, I would love to do this thing, but I can't do this right now. So let me put that aside and I want to make something I can do. Then you make something else. Oh, this is great, but I can't do this one either. You know what? I'd be happy just shooting a short. Like I just need to do it. I have to learn. I, I, I'm happy when I'm shooting. I don't care what it is. You know, I think, that's the state you need to be. That's the only way to um, to not throw obstacles in front of yourself is to just like, if you want to make films, make films. But now, and I'm kind of avoiding this a little bit, but it, it, this kind of goes to the larger question of like, what is your real passion? And I find that, you know, maybe you can speak to this too, but I find that most of the time when I run into people, not to dilute my first point, okay? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Most of the time when I run into people and I hear a lot of obstacles they're throwing in front of themselves, mm -hmm. usually they don't want it bad enough. Oh, absolutely. Usually, usually they don't love it enough. It's it's conditional love. I'll say it that it's conditional love. It's kind of like That's having great. that girlfriend, right? Where you're like, man, yeah, she's so cute, she's this, 36, 24, 30, you know, whatever the measurements, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? It's like, yeah, I like you. I like you. I like you. Let her gain a couple of extra LBSs, mm -hmm. you know, catch her in the morning time without makeup, you know, all these little things. And before you know it, 
that thing that you thought was love is just infatuation. Right. It's just conditional at that point, right? Oh, I thought I really wanted this, but I only want it this way. If I can't have it this way, then I don't want to have it at all. Right. And I find that's what a lot of filmmakers have is it's conditional love. It's like, yes, I like film as long as I'm only shooting my idea this way with this amount of money. If I can't have it this way... I don't want to have it at all. It's almost like a comfort zone being spoiled mentality. Uh, And like, I need to have it my way and only my way. And if it doesn't fit within my little parameters that I've set, then I'm just going to make excuses or be a bitter, be a bitter, angry filmmaker. Uh, And like, I think I told you and I say a lot, I'm like, we all know angry, bitter filmmakers. And if, oh, yeah. and if we don't, and if and you don't know any angry, bitter filmmakers, you are the angry, bitter filmmaker that everybody knows. <laughs> um, because it's true. I was an angry, bitter filmmaker. Are you kidding me? Um, but it's kind of like the, hey, I want to, I want to look jacked up like The Rock. But, and, but everyone, look, who doesn't want to have an, a, 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 like, insane physical physique, you know, like him just ripped up, six pack, buff, tanned, all that kind of stuff. Eight foot twelve. Eight foot twelve. Whatever, like whatever you are, like who doesn't want that? But nobody's willing to put in that work that The Rock does. Like The Rock works all the time. Like I love when he always says, "Like I don't have to get in shape for projects. I just stay in shape. It's just easier (laughs) to do that." And I'm like, man, that is, you know, because some guys get buff for the movie and then they drop, and then they get buff and they drop. He's like, nah, man, I just stay all the time. That's who he is, and he's like, well, he's he's almost pushing fifty at this point. I think he's he doesn't even look different. like it. No, he looks amazing, and he's he's the Rock. Come on, he's the you know the best. But the um, but that is that conditional thing that you're talking about. Like, it's oh, I want that, but I'm not. But it really- has to be in the way that I want it, and I don't want to put in the work. I don't want to no. put in the work. I want it to be handed to me. And so many filmmakers, myself included, and I'm sure you did at one point in your career or not. You you were expecting. I deserve this, or I'm entitled to this, um, and all of this kind of all this kind of stuff that yeah. goes in in the mindset of of filmmakers. Like that's why, you know, when I do podcasts, or you know, I talk about this kind of stuff. People are like, "Man, you're like inside my head." I'm like, "Yeah, dude, because I'm inside my own head. These are all thoughts I've gone through, and if I haven't personally gone through them, I've literally talked to filmmakers sitting in in my edit suite over the course of my career." who I talk to them about it and I see what they're doing and how they do things. It's, it's a fact, the mindset of filmmakers and, and artists in general, it could be screenwriters, it could be creatives of any sort is fascinating um, because a lot of times in this business, they just don't, they don't, uh, they don't want to put in that work. They don't want to um, kind of, get out of that comfort zone. And I did that for so, I mean, I was 40, I was 40, 41 when I shot my first feature because it was still of that. You, though. I think there's a trial by fire period that has to happen for you to figure out if it's for you. Oh and yeah. Usually that involves getting slapped around a little bit. You know, like I, I spent seven years on my first feature, a lot of heartbreak, a lot of Oof. Great moments, but a lot of low moments, and it was just a roller coaster ride. Even on YouTube, it's been a roller coaster ride to some extent in different areas, but you get slapped up a little bit, and your expectations get rattled of what you think you should deserve or what you think is in the cards for you or how fast you think 
whatever should come should come. And then like it always gets tossed around. And that's kind of the the gauntlet that you have to go through to find out what what it is about what you're doing you really love and if you love it enough. Because without the without that period, there's nothing to test your metal to see if it's really for you or not. And if you get slapped around a little bit and you go back to square one and your response is, okay, well, the way I thought things were going to happen is not happening, but what are my options? If you, if you tell yourself, I can't do anything else. Like this is all I'm good at. This is all I want to do. I'm just going to have to figure out how to make it work then it's for you because you're not going to stop at that point. But if you end up in that situation and you say to yourself, you know, eh, this is not how I thought it would work out. Oh, wow. The industry, the business side is very ugly. Whoa. Do I really want to be a part of this and this and this and this? And all you see is negatives. Mm -hmm. And you say to yourself, you know, there's a couple of other things that, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind doing this over here or this over here, mm -hmm. then it's not for you. And that's okay. That's okay. Mm -hmm. But we have to be real with ourselves. You know, like mm -hmm. you have to be willing to take the bad with the good. And when all chips are down, yes, I will go out and I'll shoot a microfilm with no expectations of getting into Sundance, mm -hmm. no expectations of launching a career, no expectations of anything, right. much less making money off of it. But I will do it because I just want to get better. So I'm not going to spend any money on it. But I want to get better. Isn't that an amazing concept? <laughs> like just yeah. like that is the way it should be. That's the way it should be. Like and so many so many filmmakers aren't that. They just don't. They never get to that point because they're afraid. Look, I was. I didn't want to make a first movie because I was like I needed to be perfect. And because of that stupid perfectionism, ego. it's ego. So because of that, I, I, it took me so long to finally get it done. And what, look what happened when I made the decision to make Meg. 30 days after I had the idea to make a movie, I was shooting a movie. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Like I was just like, <laughs> just that's the way I'm going to roll and we're going to shoot. And we shot it in eight days and we just ran for it. And I did everything. I, you know, I made mistakes. I learned. I was the DP on it. I was everything, you know, all the other hyphenists that I did on it. But I moved. You learned more in those 30 days than uh, I'm sure you've learned in, I mean, because, yeah. you know, taking on an endeavor like that is like a film school into itself, you know, like yeah, you learn just as much about yourself yep. as you are about film. But I'll tell you, but I'll tell you what, though, for me. I just needed to prove to myself that I could do it because the theory was there. Like I'd been, I'd worked on 70 features in post-production. I've directed commercials and music videos and short films. And I had done all of that stuff. So I, I, in theory knew I could do it in theory. Like I've done this. I finished films for other filmmakers. I know I could finish it in post. I'm not, no doubt about that. I know I could shoot it because I've done that before. I know I've, I, I knew all of it. In theory, but I had to prove to myself that I could slay the Kraken. I can slay that Kraken that I had created for myself. And once I did that, then all bets were off. And then my next film, I shot in four days at Sundance, <laughs> you know, like because I was like, well, screw it. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I could do this. It's great. But I wouldn't have been able to do the second film 
without first going, I would have never tried to make Ego and Desire before I made Meg because I needed to test my metal in Meg. And I was able to do it and, and it ended up being really well. But proving to yourself that you can do it is also another big thing that a lot of people don't talk about. I think it's overlooked because we have this Cinderella mentality when it mm-hmm. comes to like we want our first foray out of the gate to be the boom stars in the, you know, like the fireworks crack. Uh, yeah. The fireworks explode. Um, the, the Cinderella, like you, we want people to just be like, you're a genius. Yeah. You just Reservoir open. dogs, mariachi clerks. Yeah, but those guys, none of those guys were overnights. Really? If you look at their stories, none of those guys were overnight. No, all of them have hard work. All of them had hard work, but their first feature was overnight. And but I always, always, I was actually just saying this earlier today. Those guys did not start making their movie expecting that. You know, Clerks. When Kevin Smith made Clerks, he did not even expect it to get anywhere. He wasn't expecting that that thing to blow Nor up. No, would it in this day and age? No, at this it wouldn't. Time. No, no, it wouldn't. But at that moment in time, it worked. And Good same thing for Mariachi. I mean, Robert Rodriguez. Spider. Robert Rodriguez. Robert Rodriguez just wanted Mariachi to go to the Mexican VHS market. <laughs> like he didn't even think of like what Sony Columbia Pictures. What? And Reservoir Dogs was just like a small little gangster movie that Tarantino wrote. Like he was just I, he wasn't expecting it to completely shoot him up out of the world. Correct me if I'm wrong. He went to the Sundance Institute and yeah. uh, and did. they hated the project. But he did get. But he did get in. No, he did. He did do. Um, yeah. I have actually seen the footage of it. He did get into the yeah, lab. He got in. Um, but uh, they didn't I, like it. They worked. They worked. Yeah. The, this they, is too much dialogue and all this. And I think that's what the guy's known for. For crying out. It's like it's, it's yappy, yappy. All this yappy, yappy all the yeah. time. Not, you're but getting, again, hey, getting slapped up though. You know, you got to take your licks and get slapped. Anything worth doing doesn't come easy. A- amen. Anything I, worth doing doesn't come easy. And I, I think that. You know, there's been several times in my journey, not only with the feature, but even on YouTube, where things aren't looking good, bro. <laughs> They're not looking good, man. Yeah. And you're like, man, oh, you know, like, why am I here? Rate, <laughs> at this rate, how many years am I looking at to get where I'm trying to go? Oh, man, at least 15, 20. Right. And that's not even talking about the monetary side. You're like, is this worth it? Or should I just stop and go get a job at Mickey D's right now? Yeah. You know, and it's like, you know, and it's these are hard discussions, though. These are hard conversations, man. When you're looking stats in the face and you're having to say, do I have what it takes? And the answer is, I don't know. Right. I've, I've already given this thing my best shot. This is my best shot. I just gave it. I, I don't have anything else to offer right now. Right. If the marketplace is looking back at me and saying, nope. Yeah, bro. Like, eh, you know. And? The same with the streets want to see right now. You know, and you're like. <laughs> the streets want to see. Yeah, right man. You have, you have to ask. It, it, these are hard, hard conversations. And I, I've had them at least three times, man, where I'm like, man. It's like, worth it. It's like, yeah, it's like if I keep doing it, there is no guarantee of success. There is no yellow brick road. There is no model to try that I know is going to work. Right. If I keep doing it now, it's only because I have some enjoyment out of it. That's it. Because I can't expect to make a living out of it. I can't expect to have success out of it. So all I have left is you're doing it because you enjoy it. And hopefully a couple of people find it useful. That's it. <laughs> you know, and then I said, you know what? Yes, 
I'm going to keep doing this. And I kept doing it. And then I started learning more and more as I went and you keep learning and you keep learning and just one step at a time. And before you know it, you look back and you're like, whoa, how did I get here? But it all starts with that that moment where it's like it doesn't look good, man. And and I think when people hit that moment and that that is the walk in the fire moment, that is the trial by fire, the gauntlet. That's the moment where you decide if you love it enough right there. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, it's easy to turn away. It's so easy because you're like, man, look, nah, <laughs> I'm good. I'm going to go over here, man. Like, this is ridiculous. But if you do love it, then you're like, okay, well, I may not get the success that I thought I would, but I love it enough to be flexible, to just try other things and just keep learning. Hell, I'll shoot commercials. Mm-hmm. I don't even like shooting commercials and dealing with clients is like, ah, oh, but you know what? At least I'm around it. I'll do that. You know, that's the kind of love you have to have, man. And there's no question, man. I actually had to, I've had that conversation with myself so many times in my career. Like after, you know, after my book, uh, you know, that whole story uh, came across and I was like, am I, is this worth it? Like, you know, when you, when you're devastated and broken and, you know, selling comic books on eBay um, because you're hiding from the world. That is a, a, po- a moment in your life where like, is this, a, a, am I going to come out of this? Like, how am I going to even, like, is this for me? But the question that, that the answer that always came back is like, what else are you going to do? I was just going to say that, like, what, <laughs> what else, else are you going to do? What else are you, what you qualified to do? And like, and then that was the answer that always, for me, I'm sure for you as well. For me, it was always like, all right, sure. What else are you going to do? But seven, now it's going to be like almost seven years ago when my daughters were born. I, I had that question again, because at that moment in my life, I was beat up by, I was doing so many, I was doing way too many um, Eric Robert movies in post. Let's just put it that way, you know, and like really low budget, Michael Madsen and Danny Trejos. And (laughs) and I was dealing with these kind of unscrupulous uh, uh, distributors and I had to go chase Uh money. And and I was just doing the post on all this kind of stuff. And I just kind of was just so, and this was like a year of this. And I was burnt. And then my daughters came and I'm like, I I don't know, man, am I going to keep doing this? And I asked the question, well, I, I can't, can I, is this for me? Can I, should I do something else? And, w- and for whatever reason, the universe said, oh yeah, you could do something else. Why don't you open up an olive oil and vinegar gourmet shop? That's oddly specific. <laughs> Very, <laughs> exactly. And I said, yeah, I'll do that. And that was the universe going, this mother, you know, this, okay, okay. You don't like what you're doing? I'm going to give you a little time. I'm going to show you what you don't like to do. And I'm going to tie you up for three years in a lease that you can't get out of. And, and that's what happened. And I, Man. it was the worst three years of my entire life. Um, maybe not the year of, of my gangster year, but uh, other than the gangster year, second it was the worst. second worst three years of my life. And it was, it was, it taught me. So when I came out with Indie Film Hustle, it came out right at the tail end of when I was closing that business. So right, like they overlapped. Cause I was already like, I got to get out of this. I got to get out of this. But that taught me it's like, sometimes when you're on your path, sometimes you have to take that detour to realize what your true calling is, what your true mission is in life. And that's where I came back. And I came back with a vengeance. You know, I came back hard 
real quick. Uh, and it was, it, it was, you know, it changed my trajectory in life, but, um, there's that, nothing like doing you doing something you don't want to do <laughs> to send you running towards what you love to do. Because I was in the the Air Force for four years, the same thing. Jet mechanic. I I don't even know why I picked that job till this day. Uh, <laughs> something about like I should try something new and be. I saw Top Gun. I saw Top Gun, and this is what happened. <laughs> we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Yeah, you, you don't pick a job based on like a hunch, you know, oh, I should be more. No, you don't. If you're going to do some, <laughs> you need to have been working on cars and you you need to know that you love it before you pick the job. So I picked a job that I just hated. I love the people I was working with, but I hated the job. So getting out, you know, it's like this. It's like this soul deadening. Yes. Feeling where yes. you're you're spending so much time on something you couldn't care less about. It just like cripples you and it sends you running toward things that no matter how risky they are, it's better than that feeling you get when you're doing something that you know inside is not for you. Oh God, preach brother, preach. I'm sure people listening right now, there's some chills going up people's spines in certain areas, you know, because they might be listening to this or watching this in that job. And I hope, I, I hope, look, I hope this, I hope this information, I hope this energy gets out to you that if you are in that deadening job and you're saying, oh man, it's just because I have to pay, I have to pay the bills. You've got to figure something else out. You got to, you got to, I don't care if you're carving out 10 minutes, 20 minutes a day, you need to find some kind of time to start working toward your dreams and side start hustle and your skill set. Yeah. Start, you have to, you have to start a side hustle first. Like any film hustle for me was a side hustle at the beginning. I was doing posts in the day and indie film hustle at night kind of thing. And then slowly but surely that side hustle turned into the main hustle. And now it's the, the one thing I do. Uh, and same thing goes for you. You know, yeah. you, 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 now you do the same thing with, with uh, your channel and your, and I your think platform. Here's a, and I want to mention this before I forget. And I was having this uh, conversation. I don't remember with who. Uh, Might have been me. It was like 18 hours. It, it could have been. <laughs> uh, it could have been. Um, we have to change our metrics for success. Yeah, it was with you. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was, it was we, with you. We have to change how we gauge success because I think that's an even bigger trap because with unrealistic expectations out of the gate, you're already hamstringing yourself for what's to come. But isn't that but but isn't that what the business isn't that what the industry teaches? They teach the sizzle. Stories. But yeah, that the, they they all they do is sell the sizzle and all they do is sell like film schools sell you on you're going to be the next Spielberg, you're going to be the next Nolan. And the chances of that happening are so nil, but that's okay. There's not, look there's only so many guys who are going to be able How many how many directors get the opportunity to direct a 200 million dollar movie? Not many. I mean, period. Like, period. In in the history of film, how many directors got that opportunity? How many directors got to do a tentpole studio movie or a big, big budget? Like, how many of them are there? They're You're not- talking, you know, when you talk about Sundance, you talk about the, you have a better chance of winning the lottery than getting into Sundance. You but do. like sheer numbers yeah. versus how many they actually take. Yeah. You have the better chance of winning the lottery. But that number, like how many directors actually get to play that in that ball game, that number is less 
Oh, <laughs> massively so less. You're talking like a, an infinitesimal fraction of of everybody who, who everyone who wants to be a filmmaker and everyone who wants to be a director. Yeah, man, it's it's so that it's ridiculously. You're, I mean, you're talking about the cream of the cream of the cream of the cream of the cream. Yeah. Oh, and not even all those guys are good. It's just for right, some right. Other, they've been able to leverage it, but. I mean, that's like it's almost like a pipe dream to a certain extent, you know. Right. It's- but the thing is that you're, I think what we talked about was, and if you don't get there, that's okay. There's so many other ways to be fulfilled in the film industry as a filmmaker without having to go after that big dream. And with my story, I was chasing. I was raised in the '90s. I mean, I came up in the '90s when. It was the what the the just magical early '90s for independent film. Like every year, there was a new Cinderella story. John Singleton, you know, Clerks, Tarantino, Rodriguez, Soderbergh. Like every year, there was every time a turn around. There was someone there was new promotion too. It was Before. just a, it was a different world back then. So that mentality stuck with me where I had like I got to have that moment for myself that's why I got caught up with a mobster trying to make a movie because I'm like this is my shot this is my shot this is my Rodriguez this is my you know Singleton you know this, I'm not, eight mile, you this know? is my eight mile baby I'm gonna this is my shot, shot. got one shot <laughs> but that was the thing and I finally in my in my elder years um as a, a 40 now 44 year old man as of this recording I came to grips with what makes me happy. And I'm not, don't get me wrong. If I get a call from a studio tomorrow, I'll take that meeting. You know, I'll take that meeting. But at a certain point, Loke, is that really what I want anymore? A perfect story is Mark Duplass and the Duplass brothers. They got called by Marvel to do a Marvel movie. And they turned it down. Which goes against what came with it. They knew they're like, I'm gonna be locked up for three years on one project. I'm not gonna have the control about it, and it's gonna be nothing but pressure. Sure, I'll get money. Sure, I might open up other opportunities, but that's just not gonna make me happy. And that was such an immense message to send out to the world, I believe, to the filmmaking world, because you're like, because everybody else was like, I would have taken it, I would have taken it. But that's not his definition of happiness. That's not his definition of fulfillment in the business. So you've got to figure out what that fulfillment is for you and be okay with it not being like, it's like, I'm going to play baseball, but if if I don't win a championship every year, uh, it's not worth it. Like, you can't think that way. Like, uh, if I'm going to play football, it's it, myopic. It's ridiculous. It's also a sign of inexperience, it's a sign of naivety mm-hmm. because there's so many other things out there that you can do but if you don't know about them and even better yet you don't know how you will feel about them mm-hmm. how can you make a judgment on something you don't know about that's like having an assortment of 10 foods in front of you the only thing you've had is a cheeseburger <laughs> Here you've got ice cream you've got uh well you know all, all these other great foods pizza yeah. But the only thing you've ever had is a cheeseburger. That's right. the only thing you've ever heard anybody talking about. Yeah. So you're like, well, I don't want ice cream. I mean, it's cheeseburger or bust. Right. Pizza. <laughs> what? It's not a, like it's not enough bread. Like it doesn't even look good. Pizza looks <laughs> awful if you never had it. Like look at Pete looks awful. It does. I'm not having that. Nope. It's cheeseburger or bust. And it, that's kind of what I liken it to. Is like you don't know what other things one are like. 
what's available to you, and two, how you will feel about them, and three, the sustainability options to those things, you don't know enough about what's out there to make those snap decisions. So when I hear people say that, myself included, when I was back in that mindset, it was all naivety because I didn't know what I didn't know. Now I'm in a space kind of like you where it's like, you know, if Hollywood were to knock on my door tomorrow, sure, I would entertain it. Yeah, like, yeah, sure, let's talk. I'll, but I'll have a meeting. I'll take that meeting just I'll purely meeting. For, just purely for the stories alone. Yeah, I've had them before, actually, with yeah. you know, that's a whole nother story. But yeah. but if it like circumstances different and all that and they knocked on the door and I'm like, yeah, sure, let's talk. But in the back of my mind, though, I always have that walk away where it's like, OK, if the terms aren't right for me, mm-hmm. though. I'm doing fine where I where I am. I, I don't need you to make a living. I don't need you to make a way for me. I've already made my own way. And I can continue to make my own way, but we can do something together. And if it works, sure. But I don't have to jump on everything offered to me. You know? And I'll throw a recent story that's happening. I'm actually in, you know, in talks with different distribution companies for my film on the corner of Ego and Desire. I've been blessed to have options. And there was one company I really liked and they're, good, they're a good company and, you know, and they had some really good um, opportunities for the film. But... I walked away from the deal. I walked away from a, you know, theatrical and other a- avenues because I was like, you know what, this just doesn't make sense for me. Like I, I, I need certain things to be in place for this this deal to make sense to me. And I walked from the deal. Whereas before, filmmakers are so desperate sometimes in the distribution game that they just jump on whatever anybody gives them. And it, I'm in a, I'm in a very you know wonderful position where I could just walk away from it because I don't have five hundred thousand dollars invested in that movie. I made I made a ego and desire for like I haven't even said this, but I made that movie for about three grand, you know. So like it didn't cost me anything to make that movie. So for me, I that's a lean project. That's a lean ass project, baby. You know. So you know, I think it was like three to four grand total, like including audio posts and everything, and you know, favors don't forget and deferred payments and other things like that. But overall, though, out of pocket, like three or four grand. So I don't really. I can just walk away because I was able to keep my overhead so low. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. That I have the power to just, you know what? If I just put it up on IFH TV or I just distribute it myself, I can do that. But I'm working with another distributor and and we're going to put it out in other places. But the power to be able to walk away it's huge. It's huge, especially when you're negotiating with somebody. Just like, because I just don't like when someone sits down and negotiates with me on something like that, I'm be like, look, dude, this is what I got. And if you don't like it, I'm good, man. It's all good. No hard feelings, but I'm not, not I'm not your normal, I'm not your normal scenario. You know, yeah. I'm not, I'm not an uneducated not that guy, man. I'm know? not that dude. I'm not an uneducated guy who doesn't understand distribution and understand that. Not that, the, not that this company, by the way, was trying to screw me or anything like that. It's just the deal was not structured in a way that it made sense for me. Um, it was a good deal, but it just wasn't, it wasn't what I wanted. And, but that has a, a tremendous amount of power to just literally just go, that's not for me, I'm gonna walk away. And if you can get to that place as a filmmaker, my God, that's an immense, beautiful, powerful place to be, that you are in control of your own destiny. Oh my God, that's- I think you can get that way. You can you can achieve that, but it's only for the people who love it enough to be elastic. 
Yeah. I did not, I did not get into film to become a film school. I'm just going to be honest with you. My idea <laughs> of here. filmmaking wasn't, let me make tip videos online. It, it, it took me a long time to grow toward that, you know, because my idea is like, I want to be the next Tarantino. I want to be the next, you know. Of course. I make my film. I make my art. I put it out there for people to enjoy it. That was my idea of a filmmaker, right? And it goes back to that having 10 foods in front of you and all you've had is a cheeseburger. All I ever had was a cheeseburger. That's all I thought about film was auteur filmmaking, you know. And, you know, you know, so my journey in YouTube kind of broadened my horizons a little bit. And that was like, hey, I need to promote this film. I need to get out there. This YouTube thing, I'm hearing stuff about it. I did a couple of weeks research and realized, whoa, there's people building huge followings. Why have I not heard of this? Boom. Let me just jump in. And I wasn't precious about it at all. I was like, well, I'm going to be going to these film festivals. I'm doing a whole film fest run real soon. If I'm going to start, I have to start now so that I can like capture the whole thing from start to finish. And I figured people would jump on the chance to see like, this is what happens after you make a film, you know, like that was my whole pitch. Unbeknownst to me then, that's not even a discoverable thing <laughs> to start with. But anyways, you know, I just jumped in and I wasn't precious about it and I didn't think much of it. My whole thing was my film, Unsound. This YouTube thing, eh, just a means to an end. But God. that was the best thing for me because it allowed me to just jump in without thinking too much about it because I didn't, I mean, I cared, but I didn't, you know, it's like, it was just a means to an end for this other thing that I've spent all this money on all this time on. So it was the best thing for me. It allowed me to just jump in and mm. in doing so I got to, Hey, what's this ice cream thing here? Like, let me take just a little, Oh, that's oh, not bad. That's not bad. What is that again? That's just, Okay, and there's this this pepperoni thing. Ah, oh, I don't need that. Every time I see that, I don't want no parts of that. But you know, there's just a little piece of sauce on the table here. Let me just. Oh, it's it's, it's kind of like this, but let me take a. So by just jumping in, I got to kind of just bump into these other things, mm -hmm. <laughs> and then sooner or later, it's like, hey, you know, that thing that I thought I would never do. That when I see other people doing it, I'm like, why would I do that? Like that's just. Now it's not looking so bad. You know, it's like, right. hey, I tried it and it came back. And then I saw this other person eating it. And then he looked like he was having a good time. And then it's like, and it allowed me to grow beyond my preconceived idea of what film was and ways to do film and ways to still be involved and ways to give value and be a part of the community. It allowed me to grow into mm -hmm the tips thing, you know, or it's like, then it's like, Hey, you know, and then I did my first tips video and it struck like lightning. And then I see the people and they're like, Hey, we really enjoy what you did. And it was so clear. And I was having trouble with this and you really helped shine light on that. And then you get a feeling from that. And you're like, wow, this really made a difference in somebody's life. But then it, it's going back to that. How can you value something you've never Tried. touched or seen? Yeah. How, how do you, you don't even know what you're missing. So <laughs> I, I, you don't even know what you're missing. I mean, I, I, I'll tell you from my my little story of that, which is it, it took me a little longer than you did, but I made my first short in 2005. It was called Broken, and I did that DVD that had like three and a half hours of making of. Yeah. <laughs> All right, that whole thing. And I, I sold 5,000 copies of it. But afterwards, uh, we had this conversation like, man, if I would have just kept going on YouTube, boy, I would have owned it. I would have owned the space there was nobody on youtube doing it in 2005 but my trailers and some of my behind the scenes are still up on youtube from 2005 which is hilarious to watch now but 
I said to myself, I'm not, I'm not a film school. I'm not that dude. Why? Because in my mind, I'm like, well, Spielberg doesn't do that. Yeah. Spielberg doesn't do that. You know, Tarantino didn't do that. You know, uh, all these, all these, you know, Fincher is not that guy. Like, I'm like, I, I, I can't. Fincher's <laughs> not that guy. You know, so like, that's the thing. You see, this is how the ego works in your own mind is so brilliant. Like you're having the conversation that you are even in the same sentence as these masters who've been working at their craft for decades of their lives, hundreds of thousands, not 10,000 hours, hundreds of thousands of hours. But then because I didn't do that and I started to go down another road, which is much more egocentric, I'm like, I'm the auteur. Uh, by the way, my very first production company, a tour pictures. Not oh, joking. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Very first short so film. Bad, it's, good. <laughs> it's so bad. A tour pictures. Oh, Look it up. Perfect. Fantastic. Anyway, so I went off the road and I went on this dark, you know, journey. And then all the way back 10 years, literally 10 years to the day later, I launched Indie Film Hustle. I went full circle, went back to like, I'm going to educate. You had to grow into it though. But, to, but it didn't take you 10 years to do that. It took me 10 no, years. But also social media, you know. Wasn't really, around back We're back. also talking about a difference in time too. Sure. You know? 2005 yeah. is a. Just got out of film school. So I was like clawing at everything at this point, sure, you know, sure. just like ravenous, you know, like. So it's a, it's a, I think a little di- different in time because YouTube wasn't what it was when Google I started. Didn't even own because it. I Google had the case studies it. to look at. Yeah. Whereas when you did your thing, you didn't have the case Nobody studies. knew that that thing was going to be what yeah. it was. It wasn't a thing yet. It's hindsight. It wasn't killing it yet. But I had people who actually pioneered and did some things. So then when I turned to look at it, I could be like, that guy right there. That's interesting. They crowdfunded an entire web series for yeah. how much money? Yeah. For what? Hmm. Yeah. But if that wasn't there, I would not have had the idea because I wouldn't have had the case studies to see myself. That's then. what You're I. Like, that's that's what I oh, did. Yeah. Potential there. Yeah. That wouldn't have been there. You didn't have that. So I think you could give yourself more credit too. <laughs> like, had you well, seen that? Maybe. I think you would have been like, well, you know. And two, I think another part of the discussion is. Uh, it's not that we want to put ourselves on the same level as the greats. It's more like we don't want to ruin our chances of being one of the greats by doing something that could be perceived as less than. Do you remember like that? Do you remember that there was a moment in time where commercial directors were oh, yeah. were looked music videos and music video and commercial directors were looked on in Hollywood like like literally PAs, like they were horrible filmmakers. Like that, that's not a real filmmaker. I remember Michael Bay's story with Bad Boys and and uh, David Fincher's infamous Alien 3 story of how he got all that stuff in. He got slapped around. He got slapped around and Michael Bay literally had to pay $250,000 for a shot because he wanted, and I still remember the shot because I heard it in the commentary. I've never forgot it. There was a shot in Bad Boys where it's a, towards the end where the, the plane and a, there's an explosion out of the plane when they're all fighting and the dude flies out of the plane into the camera, like literally flies out, flying out. That I, was, remember, I remember that shot. That was a Michael Bay shot and he paid $250,000 to keep the crew late to do that. And the next morning, so Jerry Bruckheimer would see it. He had the check that he wrote and put it up in front of the lens. So he knew, everyone knew that he paid for that shot right before they shot the shot. 
And of course, the rest is history. Whether you like Michael or not, we can have a conversation about that later. But, but whether those, you like him or not, you got to. But Antoine Fuqua, Spike Jones, all this this amazing uh, group that came out of the commercial world, they had they played by their own rules. They weren't like, well, Spielberg didn't direct commercials. I'm like, no, but Ridley did, and Ridley did all right, and Tony did, and Tony did all right. They were following a different model. Like Ridley Scott and Tony Scott were the first guys out the gate. You know, they yeah. were the first ones and their first movies weren't pow, 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 you know, they're great films, The Hunger and uh, The Shootist. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. They're both great films, but it took Ridley a few a minute or two to do Alien and Blade Runner. But all of these greats we're talking about, though, they they had to do something else before they could get. Absolutely. You know, they all had, you know, in with each generation or I should say a couple generations, that thing changes. It has to. Yeah. Commercials are not the best way anymore. Competition's too high. Just the whole landscape's different. Music videos. That's a whole nother discussion. Like there was a point when that was like a thing. The thing, you know, and it's like, oh, that's your way in. But then times change, the economics change, the business changes. And now that window closes. But a group of guys got in from that window. Mm-hmm. Then there was a time when like Sundance was the way to get in. And then that's how you got the um, that whole crew, the whole, yeah, the whole Sundance crew, you know, where it's like there was a window where Sundance was just starting and it was in its little infancy. And like it wasn't this giant brand. So they didn't have like the paralyzing number of films coming in. It was only like 200, 400, whatever. Yeah, so but, and also the technology wasn't there either to do that at the time. Yeah. Either. So you had to shoot film. So, so your chances much- were a lot higher. And then there was a group of people who got in that way. Boom. But look, at, they- but look, at, the, look at the film school generation. Look at Scorsese and Spielberg and Milius and Coppola and all that. That was a time. That yeah, was- they came through uh, – uh, well, it- the studio system was collapsing and they had no, and they gave basically the keys to the inmates to run the asylum. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, but they, uh, but the, I'm spacing on his name right now where he was in a Roger. Um, Oh, um, yeah, yeah. I know you're talking about uh, the kid yeah, stays in the picture, that the producer. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Where he's just like notorious for just like, we're spending next to nothing and we're just cranking these out like a factory. Yeah. And so many filmmakers came through that Scorsese. Like they went through his film school. Oh, Roger Corman. Yeah, Roger Corman. Yeah. But that was another time where Ron Howard, guys, Jack Nicholson. Guess what? How many people were Nicola. like, I don't like Roger Corman's movies. I don't want to do that. That's not film. But, that was but the they time. were like, hey, I'll do it. I'll learn on somebody else's dime. Sure, I gotta, I gotta shoot it for next to nothing. But psh, at least I'm shooting, right? You know. So <laughs> I think so. All right. So now we just discussed something I think is really interesting. We were talking about generational openings. Like there's opportunities per generation. If if the studio system wasn't collapsing in the seventies and Easy Rider hadn't shown up, to you know that cost one hundred fifty thousand dollars and made millions and millions, tens of millions of dollars, and the studio said, "Wait a minute, we have no understanding what the audience wants anymore. Let's get these young, we're out of touch. yeah, we're out of touch. Let's get this Spielberg cat and this Scorsese cat and this Coppola guy, and let's give them let's give them the keys to the castle." That was a moment in time. Then, like you said, then there was the eighties. 
Then there was the 90s. And there was the music video time. That was the 80s. The that, music video and – Well, it was made, 80s, 90s. It was it commercials was first 80s. and then the music videos wave where a whole bunch of music video directors came in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was. You're right. The door was closed. That era was over. Mm-hmm. And then another era opened up. And then the Sundance thing where you start hearing a whole bunch of Cinderella stories, but it was all Sundance. That was, right. what, early 90s? Uh, early, early to mid '90s is where all yeah. that those that, that's when because the, the, the heyday. So much of the music video stuff anymore. Then it was all about like these fest stories, success stories. Kevin Smith, you know, and his boom, 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 boom. And now that window, I feel, is closing. Oh, now I, you still have the outliers that still come through every here and there. Like I'm sure there's still people who come through from the music video world, yeah, yeah, yeah. but not at the volume as when the window was hot and wide open. So my question to you is, being a YouTuber. Uh, and, you know, what do you see? Where do you see? What's the window right now to get in? You know, that's a tricky question because I think we're in an interesting time now where all of the other times, uh, the business model was the same Pretty because almost, technology yeah, yeah. changed it. it was DVDs, the- yeah, DVD was a different thing in the 90s, but generally speaking. The foreign sales market, like things were up and down, but the way things happened was the same. And I think we're entering an interesting time now where the biggest kid on the block isn't the studios anymore. <laughs> the biggest kid in the it's block. Netflix. I mean, you look at, you know, what the studio spent in 2015 or 16, like the total number they spent, like combined to make movies was like $2 billion. <laughs> Combined, right? Yeah. And the total number of... Uh, Projects and things, yeah. Yeah, now talking like the indie film space, guess how much money they spent combined? Oh. Like, c- including all of the films that didn't make money, too. Yeah, how many? It's only like less than 2% make money or something. Mm-hmm. Guess how much money they spent? How much? $2 billion. Guess how much money Netflix spent that same year? That would be 6 to $8 billion if I remember correctly, something uh, like that. $11 billion. look at that, yeah. They spent 11 to produce content. That's what they spent... These other so like that tells you so much about where the market is right now. Who's really minting the dollars and what business model is actually making sense? Right. The studios aren't really the, the studio model has been throwing darts in the dark the whole time. But because of the technology at the time and the internet not being where it is or not even being around up to a certain point, right? So it allowed for that business model to thrive off scarcity, off of exclusivity, you know what I mean? But then as soon as the internet opened up and then better business models came along, like Netflix, data, analytics, you can't beat that. You can't beat that. So now, you know, Netflix doesn't have to throw darts in the dark, bro. No, they know exactly. They know exactly what people want to watch, when they're watching it, how long they're watching it. (laughs) We got stats, baby. We got stats. (laughs) We got got stats all day. We're behavior patterns of all 44 million or however many, 100 something million subscribers, 146 or something million. We got data on all of them, all of them. It's just a, a matter of mix and match at that point. And, we, and then we also know how much to spend on it because we can, they can afford to take a niche topic and say, oh yeah, well, we'll, we'll throw 10 million at that. You know? But they have the metrics to tell them what's worth putting a ton of money into and what's not? Whereas the studios, 
Never had that. That's why every single time they come out, we're swinging for the fences. Every single time. Did you because see? you can't capitalize on niche markets without data. Well, I, I, the, as of this recording, that new Ben Affleck uh, action movie is coming out on Netflix. Uh, I forgot. It's like a heist movie. It's it's a hundred. It has to be like at least a hundred million plus movie easily. I still am fascinated with the Christmas movie that just get the Kurt Russell Christmas movie. Did you see it on Netflix? It. But you saw I the promotions saw, for it. Yeah. yeah, he's playing Santa and stuff. It was directed by Chris Columbus. Chris Columbus, who directed Home Alone and the first two Harry Potters, you yeah. know, among other things that he directed in his career. And I looked at that. I was like, they're gonna make money off of that movie. For decades, because every Christmas, my kids are going to want to watch that movie now because we loved it. We must have seen it two or three times when it came out. And I looked at it, I'm like, that movie would have, if it would have gone theatrical, easy would have pulled over 200 million, two, 300 million dollars. It's seasonal. But it's, but, but, but it was, to go back to your question though about how things have changed mm -hmm. or about the, the business models changing the landscape. I think we're at a time now where. I don't think it's fair to look at like the classical Hollywood model as the penultimate anymore. It's not. It's not anymore. It's it not hasn't been. It hasn't been for a while. No, it's just it. You know, the viewership in the Oscars every year is going down. And yeah, this year's, so this year's is going to be horrible. Ugh. There's so many other things showing that the interest is kind of going. Yeah, it's, because it's so but, all, here, but also the generational thing too, man. Like oh, yeah. you know, the millennials coming up and stuff. There. They're for your attention. They're also changing the way their value system is different. They're like, I don't want to work for a company for 30 years and get a gold watch and retire. That's not my dream. My dream is to go to Bali for two months out of the year and then work from home. Like that's and and I don't need to make five million dollars a year. I'm good with making a hundred grand a year if that keeps me in the lifestyle that I like. Like that mentality is changing everything. So now viewership is like, I need instant gratification. I need things that are catered to me. Cause I remember when I worked at the video store in high school, I watched everything that came out every week, which was approximately three to four, maybe five movies a week were being released. I still remember very clearly. I, I, I need multiple lifetimes to watch all the content that's being created just this year, just mm. this year, let alone all the stuff that's being created and will continue to culminate. There's entire series that I've never touched or watched, but I know that are really good. So there's no lack of good content. Now it's got to be oh. curated, niched content that I want to watch. That's why I opened up IFHTV. You know, it's a niche. You're able to thrive on right. the niche because of data. Correct. And two, uh, data-driven decisions are everything. We live in the age of data-driven decisions. Analytics. The, the people who are successful on YouTube. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Show me someone who has over a million subscribers on YouTube that does not understand how to look at analytics. And also on that other hand, I can show you more examples than I know of people who are not successful in YouTube and they probably don't even know how to look at their analytics because it tells you everything. It literally tells you everything. Mm -hmm. You, you want to know how come people aren't clicking or how long they're clicking or what, what, what you're losing them on. If you don't know how to look at your analytics, you're missing the boat. It's telling you right there. They don't have to, they don't have to comment in your comments and tell you why, because 
I don't know what the, the ratio was, or the percentage, but like it was like 99.7 or 99.9 percent of customers. If they're not happy with something, they just go. They don't say anything. Right. If you go to a shoe store and you have a shoe, a Nike shoe, you pull off the rack and you don't like it. You don't go up to the, the teller and say, this is what I don't like about the shoe. You just don't buy it. Right. You, you just go. And it's the same thing for online. The only time you start getting into all the hate and all that is when you've actually gotten somewhere because now it's worth it. It's worth my time to tear you down now because it gives me <laughs> visibility. That's the only time you start to get that. But if you haven't gotten anywhere yet, you don't even get haters, bro. <laughs> like they, they find your video and they're like, oh man, this ain't this this ain't what the street, the streets don't want this. What is it? The streets don't want you, should get, don't want you should get a t-shirt, sir. Just, the streets don't want this right now. Hashtag streets don't want this. If they don't like it or if they don't believe in what you're saying or if you know you get facts wrong, or whatever, they don't say anything. They just go. They're, uh, I'm out of here. That's right. it. Right. But your analytics tell you everything. Even when like people are like begging for feedback, give me feedback, give me feedback. How can I get better? It's so hard to get feedback, bro. It's all in your analytics, man. It's all there. Twenty seconds in, you said this one thing. Boom, huge drop. Let me go and see what the twenty. Oh wow, why are they dropping from that? Let me. Oh, quick Google search. Oh, there's a whole fact I got wrong. No wonder. Mm -hmm. People are looking at me like I'm an idiot. You know, it's like it's all there. All and there. do you think that filmmakers and moving forward, because there's so many filmmakers, so many screenwriters, so many uh, content creators coming out of film schools and coming into the into the marketplace now who have this old mentality, this mentality of the old way of doing things. I did for a long Hollywood. time. The classic Hollywood. Spend everything you're worth for the dream. Yeah, all, the, all that, that you throw, you you risk everything on the one movie, as yeah. opposed to you know. I always I'll, tell people, I'll, I'm like, reach my house. Like, if someone tells me, like, I'm gonna give you a quarter million dollars to make a movie, I'm like, great, I'm gonna go make five movies. Like, that's my mentality. That's my mentality. I'm gonna diversify, so I have complete control of my creative output, and I I, I nullify the risk. As, and that's the business. That's a business model that can make sense, that can roll. But if you roll it all on the one, and you're like, "Well, I need 250 to make this story play," I'm like, "Well, then, oh, is this your first one? Don't do that, man." Don't it doesn't do make that. sense. It's like this, okay? I want to start a business. We'll just put film on the table for now. I want to start a business, and selling I want olive oil and vinegar, let's say. Yeah. Well, <laughs> what you know more about that, so I don't even know where to. But well, I mean, something like that. You know, it's like I want to start a business. But in order to start this business, I need five hundred thousand dollars. Sure. So I have to go talk to lawyers, doctors, whoever Banks, I know, yeah. with a business plan. Sure. And convince them of this new software that doesn't exist. Oh, and by the way, my, my experience with software is like this. Right. Very minimal. I just learned it last year. I just graduated. I watched somebody. Whatever school. I saw somebody code once. Yeah, I saw somebody code once, but I have to go talk people into giving me $500,000 or you can just say like some pilot product or something that you have to actually get developed or, you know, whatever. There's a difference between there's a way to do it and there's a way to do it. Like going out and trying to convince people for $500,000 on a theory because that's all your stuff is, is a theory. You're right. You don't know if it's going to work until it's in the marketplace and then the market's going to decide. There's so many films that people are like, yeah, everybody's going to love it. You get it in the marketplace. Flops. Then there's films that everybody's like, why in the world did this thing take off? Everybody's got question marks, but the market wanted to see it. It's the same thing on YouTube. How many people do you see on YouTube doing so well? And you're like, what is it about? I don't get it. Like, but the market loves it. And then there is content and channels that's like, man, this is really good stuff. They really need more views, but... The market doesn't think so. 
So you don't know what the marketplace wants. You, you will never know what the marketplace wants looking in from the outside. The only way is to actually have a product that you insert into the marketplace and you see what it does. That's the only way to figure out and you collect data. So for that guy who has that $500,000 business plan for this theory and he begs people for five years. I was about to say, at least five year, 10 year process, right? Yeah, maybe he gets it, maybe he doesn't. But if he does get it, he you know makes the product or whatever, puts it in the marketplace and it flops. Guess what happens? You're back to square one, only worse. You lost a whole lot of people money now. Now you're in jail, not literally. And now, and now it's not theory. They know they know that you can't do it. Yeah. So, but so that's one way to do it, and it sucks because you're taking all the risk. There's nothing to ameliorate that. There's no insulators. There's no nothing. It's pure, unadulterated risk, like milk of magnesia, straight up extract. You're, you're putting the pipe in the tree, and the straight sap's coming out. Risk. Okay. The other way, <laughs> this is all it is. Like risk or pump it through your veins. Just risk. It's risk. Wait, so what you want? I just want risk. It's like mine's was like coffee. Uh, mine's was like, like utter fear, and yours is like risk. Risk. <laughs> yeah. It's just it's just pure risk for right. for risk's sake. Mm-hmm. Just pure risk because of the dream, because of ego, because of uh, and that's of the way whatever. that everybody thinks that it's always been done. Even though time and time again, it's not how it's always been done. That's just the way it's projected to think. Even in film, the other way is minimum viable product. The other way is yeah. lean projects. Yes. You know, just like with business, they say the lean startup. You can go and you can shop around a, an idea that you need five hundred thousand dollars for, or you can start a lean business that you can start right now with something that you have access to. So if you're talking about creating software and you have limited experience, well, how about you shelf that now? Don't get rid of it. Just shelf it for now. And think about another business model that you can start that you have access to that you could start with your own money. And that's how you got the guy who, uh, uh, not Napster, um, he started printing people CDs for them. That's all he did. Mm-hmm. You know, and they were like, oh, you print CDs. And then a whole bunch of people started and then boom, huge business. Right. You know, it's like starting with something accessible that you don't have to go find money for the lean startup, because what happens? You can get into it for no money. So what does that allow you to do? Experiment. Or product. Boom. What is the market? What does the market do? Does it like it? Does it not? And even if it doesn't like it right away, you can hit them again. You can Gatlin gun things out and make tweaks and zero in on what the market wants to see. And then once you find it, you're done. You just rinse, wash, repeat, and scale. But you have something that works. And that's the benefit of the lean startup. So if we take the business side off and then we go back to film, it's the exact same thing. Only you replace a business plan with a pitch and a script. I'm going to go and convince all my friends and family to give me $300,000 because this is so good. It'll get into Sundance or Tribeca or whatever. Everybody's going to love it. It's going to launch my filmmaking career. You want to be, you know, it's like the same thing. You have the guy who has the expensive pitch and he can spend five, seven years looking for money for that pitch. And then you have the guys who are like, you know what? I do have my expensive ideas, but I'm going to shelf them for now. Let me do a film idea that is accessible to me. I'm going to use resource filmmaking. I'm going to work with what I have. I got my buddy's pool over here that's empty. Looks interesting. Let me put that in the feature. I've got this abandoned school bus over here. 
That's cool. Let me write that in the feature. I have one actor who's actually decent and a whole bunch of people who couldn't act their way out of a paper, wet paper bag. Okay, well, you're the star and the rest of you guys, I'm going to cut all your roles down. And this guy who barely talks and looks crazy, I'm just going to have you looking crazy in a corner. I'm going to write everything toward what I have and I'm going to make something out of that. And guess what? Now I have MVP, minimum viable product. Test that out in the marketplace. The market either wants to see it or it doesn't. If it doesn't want to see it, guess what? I can do that all day. It didn't because, cost me anything. Correct. And it's like I said, if, you, if you're if you lucky enough to get a $200,000, $250,000, make five, six, seven movies with that money. Yeah. And then I promise you on movie two or three, you figured out something, hopefully, but you're still just trying things out. And like I did with my first movie, Meg, Meg was made for about five or six grand. And then my second movie when I went lower. I went down to three or four grand. And I'm like, I could take risks. I can enjoy. I could see it. And if the marketplace doesn't like it, it's not a loss. It's, it's not a hit. But if it, it meant something to me as an artist, all good. I'm creating art. I'm creating a product that I'm happy with and I'm cool with. And if you're gonna, if you, it doesn't have to make them two hundred twenty billion dollars. If it make, if I made a four thousand dollar movie and it makes me ten or fifteen grand over the course of the next three years. That's a success wherever that's, you look at that's it. That's a net victory. Is that a is that a viable career path? We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Is that a viable business? Yes, if you're able to do do that four or five times a year, and then you also do other side hustles, and yeah. you also create other other avenues. Like you create a school about teaching you how to do that kind of film, something like what you do and what I do, where now you're able to – it's all all relative and you have to create ancillary products. You could create other things. It's, you could do. it's, all, it's all leverage and I think uh, I think the, for the people who are stuck in that because the business world has the same problem. Yeah. The they, they have the exact same problem where people are, have these pipe dreams and it's all about like – I can't do anything unless I have this. And it's like, it goes back to that one most important question, really, for the same, for the entrepreneurs and for the filmmakers. Like, if you're an entrepreneur at heart and your goal is to own your own business and work for yourself, it doesn't matter how it comes to you. You're going to be open to trying a lot of different things because your main goal is to be an entrepreneur and work for yourself. So you're not going to be so married to one idea that if you don't get that idea, well, I'm just going to keep trying until I start. It's like, well, no, because that's not your goal. Your goal is to work for yourself. So if you can't do this thing now, well, I'm going to look for something else that I actually can do because I want to work for myself. That's my goal. So for those people who are shopping those business plans around that are completely unrealistic theories, they're not really entrepreneurs at heart. No. They're not really. They are married to an idea. That's it. And if it works or if it fails, that's it. And if it does fail, they usually don't have any other ideas. That's all they got. Right. That's their one shot. And they're like, well, it didn't work out. Okay, well, I'm just going to do uh, do something else then. But for the entrepreneurs, there is no choice. And that's the same thing for the filmmakers. It's like you're either a filmmaker or you're not. If you're a filmmaker, then your goal is to make films, period. You have to make them. You must make them. You have stories you want to tell. You feel alive when you're on set, period. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. So if you have a project that's $500,000 and you can't shoot it right now, you're not going to spend five years looking for that money. You're going to be like, well, that's great, but I need something. To, um, let me figure something else out or something for fun to shoot. I just need something else to shoot. 
because I'm not happy if I'm not shooting. That's what a filmmaker sounds like. Somebody who's just married to an idea. Oh, yeah, I'll spend the next. I have friends that still doing this, man. And it's like, bro, before I started YouTube, I'm not saying no name. Before I started YouTube, right, this guy went to film school, graduated before me. He had this idea and he's like, yeah, yeah, I got this great idea. It's my passion. It's going to cost three hundred some thousand dollars to make. Cool. Awesome. He graduates. And then I graduate a year later. He goes off to Europe and does some more like film training or something. I forget which school he went to. I got out, shot a feature, started a YouTube channel, really grinded hard on that. Did the film fest circuit with the feature at the same time, built the subscribers up to over 100,000, you know, um, made several short films then dropped that feature and then dropped another feature. I released two features in one month, two Mm -hmm. feature films in one month. Nice. Past 300,000 subscribers. And then recently I had met up with this guy again and and he was doing different things. And uh, we got grabbed a beer and we talked, you know, I was like, yo, so what's up? You know, this guy was selling the same ticket, man, the same ticket. He's like, bro, yeah, 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 that idea, you know, I've been working on the script and everything. And, you know, I was like, why, why haven't you shot that yet? Well, you know, I'm, I want to I want to approach this like a real filmmaker. Like this is a real oh, this isn't this isn't I don't want no backyard filmmaking. Oh. No, this is a real film. I need at least three hundred thousand dollars, man. I can't make it happen for less than three hundred thousand dollars, man. And uh, no, no, it's 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 it hurts. It makes my ass pucker. I mean, it's yeah. just it's just. <laughs> oh man, you will never make it. You have no track record. Who's gonna trust you with three hundred thousand dollars? And you have no track record. You have no work to show for yourself. Right. Nothing. Right. No, abs- there's no, no question. I, I mean, you see it on Shark Tank every week. Every week you see it on Shark Tank. You see these entrepreneurs come in with these these insane ideas you're like yeah and then like we have an evaluation of 25 million dollars you have 50 dollars in sales how can you in god's green earth do that <laughs> but that but you're right there is such a, a mirror image with filmmakers and entrepreneurs because they have this because right now it's extremely cool to be an entrepreneur it's oh, extremely yeah. cool to be a filmmaker where they're both but they're where, both buzzwords now but both but by the way if you look back a generation or two back what were the two cool things to be a doctor and a lawyer oh yeah remember that was the thing like you gotta go be a doctor or a lawyer or a programmer i remember that well, one no big. but that no but that was later that's gone now that's, oh, that's later, yeah. that was later i'm talking about like two generations back like that's all you heard you could be a doctor lawyer doctor lawyer doctor lawyer and nowadays it wasn't an accountant too yeah or an accountant like if you're like well if you can't be a doctor or lawyer i guess you could be an accountant you handle the money of the doctor or the lawyer and you're good yeah, yeah. exactly but now things have changed so now it's like the entrepreneur is the rock star and the filmmaker is the rock star and it's so funny i think gary v says it so clearly he's like i have actors i have huge movie stars huge athletes huge people in other industries and they all want to be entrepreneurs they all want to own their own business. They all want to create their own brands. They all want to do that because that's that's the thing at this moment in time. It is to be that that thing. And I don't think it's going away anytime soon because no. it's giving – it's a perception of freedom. It is a perception of freedom. I mean even though sometimes you create a cage for yourself. Yeah. Even uh, though it's not because it's, a, it's more work. Mm-hmm. But it is freedom if you love it. But if you don't really love it – you can create a cage for yourself real easy. I'm sure in YouTube that, I mean, you've seen burnouts on YouTube. 
Oh yeah. People that like got a big following and they just felt like I have to keep doing this because this is what I get paid for. But then they just have little burnouts. I think the problem with, with YouTube is it's still young yet. It's not, it's actually not a problem. It's still young yet. And so we're, we're seeing, we've only had two real cycles to see what happens with these big brands and their life cycles and yeah. their and what happens like when are the kardashians gonna go away i mean seriously man they're hitting (laughs) on so many value points you know i personally am not like a huge kardashian fan but when you talk about a brand like that they've tapped into the untappable somehow some way by accident i'm sure sold their soul to the devil i'm sorry they sold their soul to the devil they've tapped into the untappable like there's different arms of value that they offer like i'm not saying you're going to learn how to be a genius watching the show i'm not saying that at all but they do have different arms of value that they offer because you can't reach that level with only one prospect with only one value proposition you have to have multiple you have to be multiple things to multiple people. You and they have, have so many friends. offsprings. They have so many yeah. siblings and kids and like there's a, there's something for everybody. Exactly. You have to be – to like when you talk about Oprah and all that, like Oprah means different things to different people. Right. That's why she's Oprah. That's why her reach is so broad. To one person, she represents honesty and truth and she gets the truth out of people. To another person, she represents therapy and a counsel. To another person who may have weight issues, Oprah is a representation of an escape. Like this woman had the same issues I did and she was able to accomplish. Another person, she's African-American and look at what she can do and I'm black and I can do it too. Like you have to have different tiers of value to reach those levels. Mm-hmm. So the, something like the Kardashians, they've managed to do it. Um, they will forever be studied by marketers and people forever, you know, they're but, still, and they're still going stronger than ever. It's insane, stronger, especially with the makeup. Oh man. As soon as they hit the makeup market. Yeah. They're here to stay. I mean, they're, 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 they're the makeup. Won't. We're talking about billion dollar brands here. Like that's who they are. They're a billion dollar brand. Whether you like them or not, you got to respect the hustle, man. I mean, whether you, yeah, <laughs> got to respect it. You have to respect it. And and so we're finding on YouTube, though, I shouldn't say we because it's more like I don't have like a staff of people. We're all thinking about YouTube, you know, but I, I guess <laughs> I say we in the sense of the community of YouTube, because, you know, I listen to other YouTubers, some bigger, some smaller. And, you know, you hear other people's observations about it. And it kind of echoes the same thing. Like if you have a brand that only has one value proposition and it happens to be connected to like a zeitgeist, right? Like one direction's in and then you have this brand that pops up and he's like, I'm a one direction fan. And so I get all the girls who are one direction fans and they all follow me. And then, you know, I happen to be gay or whatever. So then they follow whatever, but it's like your only prop is this one thing. That's it. Everything gets old, bro. Every, everything gets old, man. So that life cycle is about four years. First couple of years, it's like skyrocket. It's a shooting star. And it's like, whoa, this dude's amazing. And he's so charming. He's so charismatic. And wow, wow, wow. Cool. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. But the only value he offers is these confessional type, story time type, watch me be cute, watch me be like me and you tune in for me, 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 cool. And every here and there I talk about you and I want you to be empowered by watching me. Yeah, cool, cool, cool. But it's all just confessional content. That's it. So the audience that rocks with you, they eventually grow up, right? 
and they go to college and they get other priorities, have kids. So they kind of grow out of you, Mm -hmm. right? Because you haven't changed. You're offering the same value. You're not growing up with them. Your value is not changing. So they outgrow you. And the new generation usually hates whatever the generation before them was into. There's rarely a time when there's a mutuality between what, except you, you talk about Michael Jackson or the, the Beatles. Carnival. Yeah. That crosses generations. Obviously. Sure. But you're, you're also talking about unicorns. Yeah, very much so. so. Very <laughs> much so. You're talking about unicorns. Okay. <laughs> usually the generation underneath doesn't like anything of the generation before. So the people who were rocking with you have outgrown you and the people underneath you are not going to mess with you anyway. So what happens? But do you, but do you agree that if you're able to create evergreen content, that is something that is of value no matter what generation you're from or where you come from? Because there are brands out there that are based around uh, inspiration, or um, let's go into the the self help world. Like Gary V, I think is going to be around for a while. You know, right. and that Gary V, it's not just evergreen. It's the execution. Yes. I can, I can make a tip video tomorrow and I can say a hundred filmmaking tips you must know before you die. And then the video could just be me sitting in a chair talking to a webcam. Here's a hundred tips. Monotone voice, whatever. It's evergreen. Sure. It's execution, but, baby. Yeah. It's the execution. And within the execution are those tiers of value. Right. What do you represent? What's the charm? Do people see that they can get a beer with you? Uh, is the information actually good? Do you have experience with that information? Or are you just talking from somebody who's learning? It's okay if you're just learning, but you have to be upfront about that. Don't talk about stuff you actually don't know about because mm-hmm. that'll get you too. But it's the execution. Within the execution, that's where you fall into the tiers of value, the thresholds. You know, like there is vlogging on YouTube and then there's Casey Neistat. Oh, you read my mind. <laughs> yeah. Before there's there's the before Casey era and then there's the after Casey era, right? Before Casey vlogging was, hey, I go to the grocery store, I'm looking at an eggplant, I'm, I crack a joke about it. And it's just very informal and yada, da, da. Casey takes it and he introduces a whole cinematic drone shot cut professional edit, just, you know, trick animation, stop motion, this, you know, flip flap time lapse before you look it over here, look at the screen over there. Completely changed vlogging, but it's not just because he was a good vlogger. He's also really charismatic. He's also very stylish. He also gives a lot back to the community. He also makes it a point to be a representative of the YouTube community, talking about the biggest issues that affect the YouTube community. And he's a tech guy on top of that. So he's always talking about the latest tech and he actually uses the latest tech in his vlogs, unlike a lot of other tech people where they talk about all this tech, but they don't use any of it. Oh, I'm just unboxing. Look at this great thing. It's so great. Look, I'm unboxing. Okay. Oh, here's the latest drone. It's unboxing. Cool. Okay. But they, but they don't use any of it. Casey actually uses it because he vlogs with it. So like when you start getting into the details, what do you find? All of these tiers of value. So he can mean different things to different people. And that's why he's where he is. It's more than just stellar vlogs. So how do you how do you translate that to a filmmaker? Mm. Because all this all this all this value. Because I've I've always said many ways to uh, for filmmakers to kind of add value is there's multiple ways of doing it with a film. So you do a film, you create ancillary products, you create online courses. I always use the vegan chef uh, example. Like if you're making a romantic comedy about a vegan chef meeting a meat eater. 
and 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 chaos ensues. Why You're talking about a film for preneur? <laughs> a film of preneur, exactly. But, but but let me ask you though: Don't you think that in the, oh, for sure. moving forward in the indie space? If you are not a film operator or a filmmaker who's an entrepreneur, not you're not going to make it, right? Right. Because you're going to get in your own way. Uh, my opinion or my my leaning is this, you know, first and foremost, you know, for the new filmmakers, your most important thing should be putting one foot in front of the other mm-hmm. and changing your metric for success. First and foremost, your metric of success cannot be the red carpet or my name in the marquee. Dead. That has to stop immediately. You need to reevaluate your new metric of success should be what did I learn today and what will I learn tomorrow, period. I don't mean how many podcasts can I listen to? How many YouTube videos can I watch? No, pick your stuff up and go make stuff. That's the only way you're going to get it. Actually make things and do it lean. So that's number one. You have to reevaluate your metrics for success. Two, uh, lean projects. We got to cut all this mess out with like, we already talked about it, going and looking for money and begging and these Kickstarter campaigns for your first short film. Why are we running Kickstarter campaigns for your first short film? That you need 53000 for. Why? Like you're just going to make a whole bunch of mistakes that you could have made for free. Mm-hmm. You're, you have to make the mistakes. There's no shortcut to experience. You have to make mistakes, period. You learn the most. So we need to we need to lean these projects out. We need to reevaluate how we look at filmmaking. We need to say, okay, my first five projects are not my career projects. These are skill builder projects. So uh, let me get a couple of friends. I'm going to shoot a scene, beginning, middle, end, call it a short film, and work on tension, or work on whatever. Or maybe this is my first time messing with a camera. Let me just frame shots and work on camera angles and just just be in the space. But we have to shift gears away from this immediate career stuff to skill building and what am I learning right now and how do I keep this going? Because when we're talking about all those tiers of value, you don't get there until you start with just learning your crap first, you know? Mm -hmm. And we can't hide behind our films anymore. We have to be in front of our films. We have to be brands now because your brand is going to outlast your work. Your brand is going to go further than your work can ever go because the relationship, the, the value, the connection is deeper. And if you mess up on a film, you can fall back on your brand. Whereas if you don't have a brand, you know, you go make a film, you spend three years on it, launch it out there, and it falls flat on its face. Well, if you don't have a brand, you don't have anything to fall back on. That's just it. You just made something and it sucked. And you can't you can't do anything else with that thing. It just doesn't go anywhere. But if you've got a brand, you can fall back and say, hey, yeah, I made this film. Didn't work out. This is what I learned. This is what you can learn. Hey, by the way, let's all talk about how it sucked. I'll do a reaction video talking about how, you know, it's like you can do more with it and you'll get even more followers from that, you know, but. No, without question. And I'll use a not an indie example, but I'll use an example of a brand. Uh, that we all know, Spielberg, right? So Spielberg is a, is a brand all in itself, right? Huge and, brand. A huge brand, right? So he had made Sugarland Express, then Jaws, then Close Encounters, right? Hit, hit, hit. Hit, hit, hit. hit. Well, Sugarland was a small thing, but you know, Jaws kind of knocked them out of the park and Close Encounters also as well. Then he made 1941, which was, and not many people remember 1941, but he directed 1941, which was a, huge bomb just massive bomb uh, on Spielberg's you know resume but what happened 
I'm sorry? It was a black eye. It was a black eye, right? And all of a sudden, the golden boy wasn't so golden, but he had a brand. He fell back on that. Then what did he do right afterwards? Yeah, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, and then E.T. and then the rest is, as they say, continues. But see, brands were built differently back then. And if you Correct. had the leverage of the media, you were in there. But now, because of the economics of the social media space, it's so noisy now because everyone can do it. So it's extremely noisy. So now you have to know how to build a brand for yourself for cheap. Usually that means leveraging micro content because like with the days before, it's like, well, if you're in the studio system, you get in a movie or whatever. All right. Here's a press run. You're like, boom, everybody knows you like that. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It was a lot easier to make it. It was easier. If you're within the studio system back then, you could make a name for yourself fairly quickly. Hit the talk show circuit. Boom. You're in there. You're done. And now that's different, though. It's totally different. The game has changed now. But it's, it's, it's changed for the better because now it's democratized it for everybody. But it also means more responsibility. So if you want to build a brand, you have to take that initiative to learn how to do it and how to connect with people and how to get value. Educate yourself. Back value to, to build. And also, like to your point, also with film entrepreneurship, I think um, whether you like it or not, that's where things are. Because in order to cut through that noise nowadays, you need a, a few times at bat. We, oh. This whole one hit knock out of the park and I got yeah. all this money. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. If you have a rich family, great. But then there's so many stories of people who had means and they made a film and it didn't work. Oh, yeah. So- um, so you need more times at bat and you need to give yourself time to learn your craft and learn about yourself too. Like I've been in film for a while. I've done a lot of different shorts and I feel like I'm only really falling into what I understand to be my voice recently, mm-hmm. you know, and sometimes your voice isn't so much of your style, Sometimes your voice is the things you choose not to do. Right. Sometimes your voice is the way you choose not to shoot that informs the stories you like to tell. Like, you know, for instance, you know, I did Unsound for seven years and I just poured my soul into that movie and I expected it to be my flagship and all that. And it's very successful in its own right. Mm-hmm. Very successful. But I, but I mean, what I expected to happen did not happen. Of course. And... I think that experience affected my voice as a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. I, I appreciate the stories. I, I will always want to tell heartfelt stories that mean things to people. Yes. But do I want to spend a whole lot of money in seven years on something that I don't even know is going to get me to the next level? No. I mean, I've been shooting micro films and short films. and I'm having more fun doing that than trying to shoot a feature. I can build a business around that. I can... Have fun and work with my friends doing that. I can take more risks doing that because when you're spending 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 100,000 dollars on a feature, you're not thinking about risks, man. No. You're like, this got to work, bro. <laughs> like, you know, but when you shoot a short with your with friends or, you know, you shoot a short and you just spend $200, you can take risks. Hey, I don't know if this person's good at acting. They might not have the look I'm going for, but you know what? Come on in, man. Like, like let's get this, man. Let's learn it. And I'm, I'm going to learn a lot in the process, but you can take risks doing that. And I, I enjoy the freedom of leaner projects. I really do. And I think oh, it's, it's played into my voice now. It really has. I'm happy doing smaller projects. We, Genuinely happy. I mean, we, we talked about this a bit too, is like redefining 
what success is for you. And, and we both said the same thing. Like you're happy doing small films. I am extremely happy making my micro budget feature films and building out my online business and, and they feed into each other. And it's a, I'm a, I've never been happier in my life professionally than I am now. Like I don't even have to do post, thank God, uh, and work with clients if I don't want to. I could do whatever I want, whenever I want. And that kind of freedom is, I can't, I cannot tell you. The, it's, it's, it's just, you know, I get up in the morning, I jump out of bed running back here to hang out with Yoda in the back, you know, and just chilling and just getting ready to do my day's work, man. Cause I love it. And then I'm like, you know, maybe I could go shoot a feature this next month. And I'll, you know, I'm like, I, you know, I'll pull five grand out and, and, or I'll, five, I'll pull 10 grand out and go make a movie. And that's, that's the freedom. And what do we want as filmmakers? We want that. We want to be able to put food on our table. I don't care about having a Tesla I don't care about having a big giant house on the on the top of the Hollywood Hills. I don't care about going to parties or having the latest gear or any of that stuff. I care about making art that's important to me that I can, and, and also providing value to the audience that I've cultivated. And if I can provide value and be of service to that audience while I'm able to be an artist, Jesus, man, isn't that the dream? Yeah. Freedom, autonomy, and and there's also a little bit of the be careful what you wish for too. Because I think that, you know, you know, and you've talked to producers and things as well as I, you know, you see people who are very successful in the industry and you're like, oh man, what must it be like? I don't know. And you get to talk to them and you realize, man, there's so much fear. They have to deal with the industry and the people and the culture and, and it just oozes out of their body fear. And you're like, wow, I don't think I want that. I don't think I want that at all. Like to, to be living in fear, it's like you've reached this status where you can raise, you know, so many hundreds of thousands of dollars at any given time with your connects and all that. But there's a price that comes with that. It's not all roses and sunshine. Like there's another side to that that I think people don't realize until if they're fortunate enough to get there, get there. And then they're like, whoa, this is not what I thought it would be. Oh, absolutely. Now, now all of a sudden I want something else. <laughs> no, no and, and, it's, and look, we're not saying that, you know, it's, 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 it's okay to have dreams of being successful and, and, and getting into that system and doing all just, that. Just be aware there's always more to it. And there's you also have to be balanced. There has to be balance in your life. Like if you're working all the time and you are married and you never see your kids and you never see your wife and your personal life is, is gone to crap and your body is horrible because you don't have time to work out because you're chasing the dream and all this – you have to have a holistic plan for your entire life that includes mind, body, spirit, career, love, social. There's all these different areas of your life that you need to have balance on, education, all these other things that make you a whole person. And so many people in our industry are so unbalanced and so in one direction. So I know guys who are super rich, who are extremely successful in the business, but they're miserable efforts, man. Like they just do not like they're angry, they're bitter, but they live in these huge houses, drive all these cool cars, hang out with all this, you know, the big celebrities and stuff. But at the end of the day, they're miserable. They're alone. Is and that unfilled. Yeah, is it you are not fulfilled? Yeah, sure. You made it in one spectrum, one pillar of your life. Yes, I am a filmmaker. I'm making million dollars a year doing filmmaking. 
and I work on set, I work on TV shows, I work on this or that, blah, blah, blah. But the rest of my life is crap. So is that worth it? Like what, that's a thing that no one talks about. And you really got to kind of understand that if you don't have fulfillment in all avenues of your life, you are an unbalanced individual and it, and you will be unhappy. If you can never lock down a partner in one way, shape or form, because you're always consumed with your work, you're going to live a lonely, miserable life. Even if you're rich, famous, all of that stuff. Why do you think, why do you think that we see all these crashes of all these people that we thought were <laughs> completely successful? And then you see suicides and you see drug overdoses and you see all this stuff. Why? Because they're trying to cope with not being balanced in all aspects of their life. And it's, it's, it's brutal. And I think changing those dynamics of success really is the first key. Like, you know what? I don't need a million dollars a year. I'm okay. I, I need enough to put food on my table and make, and make my life comfortable. And I, I think the trick with that though is, uh, it, it takes you time to learn enough about yourself to learn what you actually need and what you don't. And that I think time. that's another thing when you're starting out, you think that you have to have the big movie and the cloud and all. you think that you have to have that to be happy as a filmmaker, mm-hmm. but you don't know enough about what else there is out there or enough about yourself to make an educated guess of what you right. actually need. Because like, it's not until I've had the experience of making a movie and spending so much energy pouring my guts into this movie for years. But had it not been for that experience, I wouldn't have the reference point to to really appreciate how fun it is to just go shoot something and just focus on execution. I don't have to worry about money. I don't have to worry about crew. I don't have to worry about all this other stuff. I can just take something really simple and just focus on how can I execute this thing to the best of my ability. Mm-hmm. And because I don't have all this other stuff, I can just really get into the details in a way that you can't when you have these big ambitious films, like the details get lost unless you have a really good crew or you've done it before. Details get lost, but also you're just trying to survive. But also, isn't it important to be self-aware of where you strive? Because there are people, there are directors, there are filmmakers who strive in high pressure, high situation, big budgets. Like there's, Spielberg could go on to a set with $200 million and not even blink. You know, he'd but be like, he's also yeah. earned that though. But he's earned it, exactly. Earned it. So you have to also figure out where you, where in the spectrum, if you will, do you thrive in? Do you thrive in a high pressure, big budget world? And I'm not even talking about that. Let's not even talk about the studios. Let's talk about 5 million bucks. Let's talk about 3 million bucks. Let's talk about a million dollars, which is a lot of money. Can you thrive in that world or do you make more sense and thrive more in a $50,000 world, a $25,000 world, $5,000 feature? Do you thrive in that world where you're going to be happier? You're going to be more content. You're going to be able to thrive as a storyteller, as a filmmaker. These are questions that you need to ask. And it took me, look, you're much farther along than I am because I got about 10 years on you. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And you've figured this stuff out now at your age. I'm figuring it out when I'm in my mid 40s, like early to mid 40s. But I figured it out. Like I finally figured out what makes me happy, what makes me content with my career and with my life. 
And I only found it, oddly enough, and I'm sure you feel the same way, I only found that answer by being of service to my community, to being of service to my, because I by doing that, I discovered what I want and what I need. And it became a wonderful synergetic um, a relationship with my audience and with with the people who who listen to my babblings and, and things like that. And I, I feel that, you know, from talking to you, I'm sure you feel the same way. I do. Uh, I've, I've found that, um, I forget what the quote is, but, you know, the best way to help yourself is to help someone else, some mm-hmm. kind of quote like that. Um, but it was something I had to grow into because, again, when I started, it was the whole tips thing. I don't want to, I didn't go to school. For, I didn't go to school to become a film school, you know. Yeah. But it wasn't until I was in the community of YouTube enough to bump into a couple things and yeah. what's going on over here, you know, yeah. and then you, you slowly kind of grow into certain things. And that's something that I had to grow into. And then once I got into it and saw that how I was impacting people's lives, uh, then it stuck with me for sure. But I always had to remind myself like what I really am after, because I think it's too easy to, and this is a trap you can fall into. It's it's easy to fall into what works and then lose sight of what your heart really wants. And I think there are some people on YouTube where it's like once they find that, and it goes back to what you're saying, what makes you happy. Some people in the community are like, oh, hey, I fell into this, like giving advice and reviews and helping people out. Cool. I'm totally happy doing this. Boom. Till the cows come home. But for me, you know, once I got into it, it was exhilarating at first, but I got so far into it that I was getting away from shooting. Right. You know, because it's like, yeah, I sit in my room or a studio or whatever and make these tip videos. And then it became the grind of making the next tip video and the next tip video and the next tip video. And then people want this tip and that tip and this tip and that tip. And it's like, okay, well, now you got a whole assortment of tip videos coming up. And then before you know it, you're like, man, when have I actually shot anything? And when am I going to shoot something? And if I'm like, I'm so busy making video after video after video after video that I'm not getting a chance to work on what I want to work on, which is to become a better filmmaker. And ultimately I can't give my audience the best value that I can give them if my journey has stopped. Right. Because there's a limit to your knowledge, you know, like I haven't worked with every camera. My experience with crews is somewhat limited. I mean, I've had my own crew for my feature and I've worked with some crews in some capacities and other features, but there's a, there's a cap, you know? So it's like, I want to give more, but I can't do that until I level up too, but I can't level up if I'm so busy shelling out everything right now, it's like, so for me, I had to find that balance. And, you know, that's why I've gotten into like the shoot start to finish series and all that. And I've been happier doing that where I'm giving value and sharing value, but it's along with my journey and what I'm doing, Mm -hmm. because at the end of the day, I can't stop being a filmmaker just because you want all the tips in the world. So you can be a filmmaker. It's like, what about me? You know it has I mean? to be a balance. There has I mean, to. I've got my wants too. There know? has to, there has to be a balance without Gotta question. Be a balance. So Gotta sir, be. so we are we are uh, honing in at almost two hours now, uh, as I knew we would. And uh, for everyone listening, if you're still listening, uh, this is a small example of what Darius and I did uh, at the Mammoth Film Festival. <laughs> oh yeah, that's two days. We just talked and talked Yo, and bro, talked. My flight, man, got canceled, man. Let's grab breakfast, man. Let's, let's talk. And boom. Listen. Hours later, <laughs> yeah, it was it was actually really a lot of fun, and um, it was an absolute pleasure uh, meeting you uh, in person and and finding a, like a brother from another mother 
uh, in this business. So it was, it was really, really great. Now I'm going to ask you a few questions I ask all of my guests. I'm sure oh, you might know these now. <laughs> all right. Oh, man. All I'm right. not ready to answer them, but go ahead on. All right. So I, we've talked about this at nauseum. so just make a quick answer. What advice would you give a filmmaker wanting to break in the business today? Start small, lean projects, focus on what are you learning right now. Can you tell me what book had the biggest impact on your life or career? Uh, hmm, film-wise. It doesn't matter if it be film-wise or, or any kind of book. Mm, that's a tough one. There's a lot of them. I, I, for right now, I will say uh, Judith Weston's Directing Actors, definitely. That's a, good, that's a great book. I like that one. That's a very, very good book. Um, what lesson took you the longest to learn, whether in the film business or in life? You can't fake value. <laughs> your success is dependent on your value. And it's true across the board. YouTube, film. I think when people have the goods, it shows. And when you don't or you're still a work in progress, it shows. And it's okay to be a work in progress. But don't expect to own the farm when you're still a work in progress. You know, there's a reason why the people who hit, especially on YouTube, the ones who just boom, straight up to the top. But it's obvious when you look at their stuff, it's like, whoa, they're hitting on so many tiers, man. Like Peter, McC like Peter McCannon and those kind yeah. of guys. Very charismatic, understands the filmmaking community. He's a student of YouTube. You can see it oozing out of his work that he understands YouTube itself as a platform. Obviously good at photography, very good at videography. Um, very stylish, also fashionable, uh, also what he represents. Cause he's not coming in huge chains and, you know, like, look at my suit. No, he's just a dude. And he dresses like just a dude, very relatable. Like he, he just checks a lot of boxes for a lot of different people. Um, three of your he's favorite like and three of your favorite films of all time, sir. Old boy one. I love Chanwick Park's work. Uh, man. Possession by with Sam Neill, the guy from Jurassic Park. Yeah. Possession, that is a transgressive film that got banned in a whole bunch of countries when it came out. But that was one of the films that made me want to make films. And uh, Star Wars. Sure, that's always a, that's always a good go-to. Go Everybody has. Yeah, I stuff. like I like my in like entertainment type stuff too. Not everything's got to be a deep dive into like existential. Whatever you know, what I mean, I like popcorn movies, man. Oh, you know what? Black Panther. Black Panther. Yeah, yeah. man. That that's a. Black I Panther. love. I love Black Panther. Do you think it's gonna win? Probably not. It might win something. I don't know. It'll win something. It'll win something. But it's not yeah. gonna go empty-handed. Not with the records they broke, man. No, absolutely not, man. No now, way. And where can people find you and your work, sir? D for Darius. Uh, YouTube forward slash D for Darius. The D in the number four. D, the number four, and then Darius. Even if you misspell it, it'll probably pop up. D for Darius on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, everything is all D for Darius. Brother, man, it has been an epic conversation. I know we could we could keep talking because I know we oh, can. Oh, we could, we could keep talking. That was for just the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> like, bro. Yeah, that was just the tip of the iceberg, man. I mean, I'm going to call this the brutal and honest truth of independent filmmaking. That's what this, this episode is going to be called, something along those lines, because it's – there's a lot of great knowledge bombs in this episode. A lot of stuff to unpack, but hopefully, uh, you know, I want to leave people inspired though. Yeah, man. You know, I know we did a lot of like hard talk of like factual realist type things, but at the end of the day, if you want it, it's out there for you. Yes. But you have to take it one step at a time and be aggressive, you know? 
It's all about if you lay your head to bed at the end of any day and you can't point to one thing you learned to help you get closer to your goal, you failed. That's what it all comes down to. Amen. There's no question. And, and it's never been a better time to be a filmmaker than it is in today's world. Oh, yeah. The opportunities are there. The technology is there and only getting better every day that goes by. And but, cheaper. And cheaper. But it's up to you to do the work, to figure things out, to educate yourself and and to get yourself out there and also be able to pivot from that ridiculous dream that you they sold you. Yeah, that they sold you back at film school that there's only one way. There's there's only cheeseburger. And there and it's is okay for you. You might be that lucky person out there where that is for you. Because sometimes it does happen, but I think you, you're doing yourself a disservice if that's all you aspire to be, because there's all different kind of other flavors out there. You don't know what you don't know. As they say, you reach for the stars just to fall into the clouds, and that's not so bad. It's, it's true. Yeah, absolutely. I love where I'm at right now. I'm way more happier and freer where I'm at right now. Same here. But I wouldn't have got here had I not been reaching for something higher. And that may come later. I don't know. But right now, I'm happy. I'm good, man. I'm good, too. Brother, man, thank you again for sharing all your knowledge, brother. I appreciate it. And we will we'll do a part two to, or three or four of this, I'm sure, in the next year or so. All right, brother, man. Did I tell you or did I tell you? This was an epic epic conversation with Darius and I want to thank Darius for his time and being able to drop some major major knowledge bombs on the tribe today if you guys are still listening God bless man thank you for hanging in there with us uh, through this entire interview I know it was well worth it there is so so much information a lot of golden nuggets in there and honestly if you are a let's say seasoned filmmaker or if you know a filmmaker who's just starting out or they're just coming out of film school or they just kind of have still stars in their eyes This is the episode you want to send them. Please share this episode with people like that, with filmmakers and screenwriters and creatives like that, because this is a real good wake-up call to inform them on what the business is truly, truly like and the lifestyle that they are choosing to go down. Now, if you want links to anything we talked about in this episode, including all the information about Darius, head over to the show notes at bulletproofscreenwriting.tv forward slash 267. Thank you so much for listening, guys. As always, keep on writing no matter what. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast at bulletproofscreenwriting.tv. 